Good morning. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to thank uh, so many of you for praying and your encouragement, your cards. Um, just to let you know what's going on my with my back, I um, had a uh, disc that burst and extruded the material into the spinal column. There's a chunk about that big in there, and that's what's causing the discomfort. And we're still thinking and praying about uh, the best course of action to deal with that. But I have to tell you that it has been overwhelming just to see the love of this body, the encouragement, the prayers, the people who've helped out. And I... Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I don't like the back problem. I don't like the pain, but I uh, am overwhelmed just by the, the opportunity God took just to show His love through you guys. So thank you. Last week, Jackson uh, taught us about the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke four, how Jesus went into the, the uh, synagogue at, at Nazareth, and. Uh, began to teach the people there. Nazareth was his hometown. Went in, he opened the book of Isaiah, read a passage on the coming Messiah, closed the scroll, he sat down, he looked around the room, and he said deliberately, today in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. What an awesome statement. What he's saying, essentially, is that he himself is that Messiah that was promised. He himself is the, is, is the, the one who fulfills all their deepest longings. He himself is the answer to all of their problems. And when he said that, the people were stunned. They were amazed. They were thrilled. But then he went on to tell them a little about themselves. Their true need, their sinfulness, their bottom line resistance to God, and the whole atmosphere changed. They became angry and wanted to kill him. I realize this is Jesus' first sermon. You know, what, a, uh, what an experience for your first sermon, have people wanting to kill you. I mean, what a failure. You know, nobody came up to him and said, oh, pastor, what a wonderful sermon. We sure appreciate God for you. Nobody even took him aside and said, listen, you've got a lot of potential, but you may want to emphasize the positive a little more. Now, they cut straight to the chase. They got furious and tried to kill him. You know, if that was me, I would have said, that does it, man. I'm not a teacher. I'm going to stick to things that I do well. But not Jesus. He knew better. You see, one of the frustrating things about ministry is that it can't really be measured by results. You know, other areas of life, that's how we're trained to look at things. In your, in your work or in your studies as a student or in your household organization. You've been trained to, 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 to evaluate your procedure by the results. The procedure you're using doesn't produce the desired results. Change the procedure so you get the results. The problem is in ministry, relationships, it doesn't work that way. You can't tell whether you're doing it right by the way people respond. Several weeks ago, I was talking to a woman who was terribly confused. Her adult daughter was making all the wrong choices. Uh, she was involved with a guy who was obviously poisoned. She was getting involved in a lot of new age thinking and religion. 
And this woman pleaded with me, what did I do wrong? I loved her. I taught her about God. I I, uh, confronted her gently with truth. Yet uh, I, I, I never rejected her. I stood firm against her behavior, but soft toward her as a person. But it didn't work. What did I do wrong? What should I do? The only thing I could tell her was nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. Fortunately, when it comes to to relationships, to loving people, it doesn't work that way. It's the one area of our lives that can't be managed like that. All we can do is what God's teaching us is right. In fact, that, 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 that has to be your goal. Do what's right. Speak the truth in love. Listen to God's Spirit. You can't control the response. You're not doing anything wrong. What you're doing is right. Keep it up. Hold your course. See, again, the, 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 when it comes to ministry, which is just another word for uh, relationships, for loving relationships, when it comes to these things, we cannot measure whether we're doing it right by the results. It just plain doesn't work that way. All we can do is what is right. In fact, that has to be our goal, to do what is right, what God is telling us to do, what, what we're learning from Scripture is the right thing to do. Now, we may want, we may desire a, 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 a loving response from our husband or our wife or our child or our relative or our friend. We may want peace and comfort and harmony. But if these things become your goal, you're going to be a miserable failure. But if your goal is to trust God, to listen to Him and obey Him, to have the courage to act and speak the truth you're going to be an unqualified success. You know, who here would, would call Jesus a failure? Yet his ministry led to rejection by all of his friends and his family, execution by his society. Yet he always, always expressed his faith through love. And that is what counts. Paul says in Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressed through love. Now let's take a look at the next section, starting in Luke 4, verse 31. See what Jesus does. Luke 4, 31. It says, Then he went to, down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread through the surrounding area. Jesus, when he left Nazareth, went straight back to what had such disastrous results the last time. He went right back in to the synagogue in Capernaum and he began 
to teach. He opened the word and began to explain it. And again, that takes courage. That takes confidence. That was the right thing to do. The loving thing. The obedient thing. So that's exactly what he did. And we're told when he finished that the people were impressed. They were amazed. So he taught with authority. In the account in Mark, it, it, it adds that this was very different from the uh, preachers that they were used to listening to, the scribes. See, the scribes were scholars. And uh, they studied what everyone said about a given passage. They would study this authority and that expert. And that's exactly what they reported in their teaching. Their teaching was just a lot of speculation and, and opinions and, and, and drawing all those together. But you see, Jesus taught with no suppositions, no guessing, no, uh, no speculation at all. He taught as, as someone who really understood the scripture himself. It could explain very clearly exactly what God was trying to communicate. He'd say, this is what the passage means. This is how it applies to your life. And this is how you should respond to it. And when he taught, people knew they were hearing the truth. Not some abstract intellectual truth, but the truth about how much God loves them. About how they can... Uh, they, they can deal with the, the fears and the frustrations of trying to survive in an unhealthy society and, and an unstable economy. The truth about how to build healthy families. The truth about how to escape the patterns in their lives that were destroying them and the people that they loved around them. See, as Jesus explained the truth, it... it, it it had a, a, that ring of truth. It, it touched a core deep inside of them. It resonated with their spirit. And they knew that they were hearing the truth. Jesus cut through all the double talk, all of the pretense, all of the jargon and high-sounding language. And he just simply, honestly, clearly, in plain language, laid the truth before them. And it knocked their socks off. They were amazed. See, that's our job today as well. Just simply to lay the truth gently, calmly, quietly, honestly before people. But where are we going to get that kind of truth? How could we possibly speak with that kind of authority? You know, often we try to bluff and bluster and pretend that we have that kind of authority. Too often we uh, resort to the time-honored technique that every parent knows of substituting volume for authority. If you lack authority, just yell. But you see, there is only one real authority, one ultimate authority, and that is Jesus himself. And we can only speak on his authority. We can only say with confidence what he has said. But what he has said we can say with absolute confidence. And as we do, as we just simply restate what, these, what the scriptures say, what Jesus has said, as we do that, just simply lay it in front of people. It will have that same authority, that same amazing ring of truth. Because it is truth. 
what we want to do is to give to others what has freely been given to us. People, we are the stewards of the mystery, uh, mysteries of God. We have the secrets of life, the secrets of God's thinking and his desires right here. The secret of peace and contentment. And we've been given these things for our benefit, but also so that as faithful stewards, we can give these freely to others. Turn them on to the truth that set us free. Now, this is very different. It's a real contrast with what goes around uh, as truth today. We're told today that there is no truth. There are no standards except the ones that you set. You decide what or who has value and what doesn't. You are the source of truth. But we all know that that isn't truth. It just isn't true. The fact is there is objective reality. There is truth. Truth that we can sink our teeth into. Truth that we can come to understand that leads us to to, to spiritual life and health. Leads us to integrity in relationships. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now the verse he said right before that explains what he's talking about. He said, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see, his word is knowable. It is his word that is truth. It is his word that sets us free. That's why the priority is coming to him through his word. It's his word that we want to give to others just as freely as it was given to us. To just simply, gently lay it before them and let it do its work. It has that amazing ring of truth. Anyway, back to our story. Jesus taught and they were impressed. But what happened next overwhelmed them. There was this guy in the synagogue who had a demon. And right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, this guy starts screaming at the top of his voice. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Now, what a disruption. At the same time, what an endorsement. I mean, here's this supernatural being screaming out, declaring to everyone that he is the Holy One of God. And I think that would be convincing to everyone around. But Jesus says, be quiet. That's too polite. What he really said was shut up. Literally, put a muzzle on it. Stop right now. See, Jesus wouldn't let the demon talk, even though what the demon was saying was true. Now, why would he turn down this free advertising? I think the reason that Jesus silences the demon is because what the demon was doing was just giving a mere statement of truth without the power of God. He was just declaring what is true, and the power of God was not there. This wasn't drawing people's hearts to believe. This wasn't drawing people's hearts to respond to God's love with gratitude and, 
and dependence. You see, the real power, the real power of truth is that it draws us to the one who is truth himself, the giver of life. The way the truth sets us free is it draws us to the one who can set us free, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the the, the mere statement of truth, just throwing truth out without its context, doesn't draw people to him. It has the tendency instead to harden them and to immunize them from the truth. You know, many of us grew up in churches where we were catechized or put in a Sunday school class where we were just fed the sterile indoctrination of truth from Scripture. That didn't cause our hearts to stir within us. It didn't draw us lovingly into the presence of our Savior. It turned us off entirely. Those truths became dull, deadening things. So that's the same reason that later on Jesus begins to teach in parables. Because he has no desire to immunize people. No desire to rob them of the delight of truth, of the excitement of coming to understand, of seeing for the first time through a heart of faith. So Jesus refuses to just dump truth onto people who aren't ready to respond to it. And he refuses to let these demons usurp, preempt his, his schedule for revealing the truth to these people. See, the result of what happened was that people were amazed. They were filled with wonder and awe. They weren't led to believe. They weren't led to repent and believe in the good news. And that's what Jesus wanted. So again, Jesus, just with a direct command, without a lot of elaborate procedure, tells the demon to get out. And the demon goes. And immediately word spread everywhere. Within hours, that same day, within hours, the the, the word had spread through the entire region of Galilee. And then we're told that Jesus went down to, excuse me, to Simon's house. Now Simon, it was Peter's name at the time. Apparently by this time, Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John we're already traveling with Jesus. They all go to Peter's house, verse uh, 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting... The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because he knew, because they knew he was the Christ. Okay, they get to Peter's house, find Peter's mother-in-law, who must have been staying with him, is sick and in bed with a fever. So they asked Jesus to go visit her. So he quietly, without a lot of fanfare, goes to her, leans over her, tells the fever to leave, and it does. Takes her by the hand. She gets up and goes about her normal activities, waiting on her guests as a gracious hostess. You know, there was no big show, no grand spectacle, no write-up in the National Enquirer. Itinerant preacher heals woman of fever. She doesn't start the lecture tour, show up on... Geraldo and Oprah. She just 
goes on with her normal life. And Jesus goes on with his. No big deal. In fact, what makes this significant is just that this was no big deal. As far as we know, this fever was not life-threatening or dramatic. She was just sick in bed. But you see that even the little things in life are of concern to our Lord. Nothing is unimportant to Him. Nothing that is significant to us is insignificant to Him. The fact that it is significant to us makes it significant to Him because He loves us. This was worth His time, worth His energy. But anyway, once the sun went down, the Sabbath was over, and people started bringing all the sick and the demon-possessed to Jesus. You see, on the Sabbath, no one could work. And even to carry a child to get help is considered work. Even to give your arm to help somebody to get to where Jesus was would have been considered work. So as soon as the sun goes down, the Sabbath is over, and people stream. The entire city shows up, bringing all the sick and all of the the demon-possessed. Jesus uh, heals them. He uh, casts out a lot of demons. Again, he won't let the demons speak because he doesn't want them to preempt his uh, schedule. But even though he doesn't want his schedule taken over, his schedule is being taken over. I mean, here comes all these people to be healed. But there was even more people coming to see the show. I mean, this was great stuff. This is exciting. This is better than David Copperfield. This is entertainment. But is this what Jesus was sent to do? Is this why he came? Is this the, uh, the the style that he's already demonstrated so far? The showman playing the crowd? Is this why Jesus was doing these healings and exorcisms? Look at verse 42. I think we have the key to what's going on in these next couple of verses. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. The first thing I want to point out, or the first thing we notice, is that uh, before anybody else gets up the next morning, before they're out of bed, Jesus sneaks off out to be alone, to pray, spend some time with his father. So he goes out to a solitary place. Now it's interesting, the word in the Greek that's translated solitary place is the exact same word in verse 1 of chapter 4, the first verse of this chapter, that's translated desert, where Jesus went to be tempted. You see, that's the, 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 the solitary place, the desolate place, the dry place, the, the thirsty place, the lonely place where we all find ourselves at times alone, thirsty, where Jesus went out to be tempted, where he felt the loneliness, he felt the hunger. But now this is, a, is, is his place of refuge. This is, this is now, instead of a place of loneliness and struggle, this is a place of Communion with with his Father, with God. Boy, I long for this. To be alone and not lonely. 
to have those quiet places of my soul not be places of temptation and struggle, but a place of sweet communion with the Father. See, and this is what it can become. Even if right now for you, the idea of a, a quiet time, a time alone with God, quiet and, and, and internal, is totally unattractive. Because you know only too well that those quiet times, those, those times of uh, turning inward, are times of pain, are times of lust, or struggle with, with, with frustration with God, struggle with self-contempt or insecurity. You see, our Lord can change all that. He, he took the, the, the wilderness and changed it from a place of, of, of temptation, a place of, of, of threat and danger, to a place of refuge, of comfort. He changed it from, from a draining place to a place of refreshment in His own life. And He can do that in our lives as well. But that isn't the, the, really the point I want to make here. What I want to point out in this section <coughs> excuse me, is what Jesus' agenda was. What His, what his priority was. Jesus sneaks off, and the crowds look for him, and eventually they find him. Again, in the Mark account, we're told that uh, Peter and the disciples were in a panic. They're looking everywhere for Jesus, and when they find him, they say, What are you doing out here? Everyone's looking for you. See, these guys were excited. They, they, they thought, This is finally coming together. Jesus, you're popular. You're, 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 you're a, a star. You're spectacular. Everybody's coming. The crowds, the PR, this is great. It's finally starting to work. We're finally getting the results that we've been hoping for. And what does Jesus say? Let's go someplace else where I can preach. That's what I was sent for. So he wants to leave. He wants to walk away from all of this. Because he sees past the excitement. He sees what's really going on. People aren't coming to listen to him, to hear the word, they're coming for the show. They're coming for the spectacle and the excitement. Quite honestly, satisfying that desire is not worth Jesus' time. It's not what he came to do. That isn't his priority. Again, it is his word that sets us free. Jesus healed people out of his compassion. He looked at them and he saw their hurt and their need and he couldn't turn his back on them. But that wasn't his priority. And he was beginning to see that the, the kind of the spectacular, dramatic nature of his healing ministry was getting in the way. It was eclipsing, covering up, distracting from their truly important ministry, the teaching and preaching of the Word. Jesus always uh, has compassion. He cares about us. And, and He always healed out of that compassion. But He always tried to do it quietly, privately, on the side. Don't tell anybody. Let's keep this quiet. But now, again, He sees that, that, that this excitement and, and drama is beginning to interfere with the important. So He decides to move on, to get away from the crowds. See, we as people like the dramatic. We want to see uh, you know, the demon come out of the writhing body while the head's spinning around. 
Several years ago, um, 2020, did a, a, a segment on exorcism. And they had this young woman, and she was writhing and speaking in strained voices. And a priest there cast the demon out of her. Later that night on Nightline, there was a debate between two priests on the whole subject of exorcism. Even that same week, Newsweek and Time each did big articles on on exorcism. You see, this stuff sells. This is exciting stuff. People are fascinated by it. We love the dramatic. That that same week, even the Statesman did a full-page article on the miracles at Medjugorje. Now, Medjugorje is this little town in what used to be Yugoslavia where um, Mary is, is supposed to be appearing on a daily basis to six young children and giving them messages. In the last couple of years, 15 million people have made pilgrimage there to get their message or to watch what's going on. I mean, this stuff, people love it. They eat it up. They want to be around it. A couple of years ago, I was riding on an airplane got talking to the guy next to me. We discovered we're both believers. Started talking about our churches. He started telling me about his church and all of the, 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 the healings and the miracles and the prophecies and the, the speaking in other languages and all these things that were going on in his church. And then he asked me about what we do in our church. Boy, did it sound dull. <laughs> now, let me tell you, I am convinced that demons do, in fact, at times infest uh, people's lives. And there are occasions when they need to be expelled. I wouldn't pretend to know what's going on uh, on that 2020 show. At the same time, I don't pretend to know what's going on at at Medjugorje. I wouldn't be so presumptuous to uh, act like I had a clue what was really happening there. I do know what I think about speaking in tongues and prophecy, but that's all beside the point. What's to the point is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, starting in verse 20. He said, So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then he went on, Jesus went on to describe two lifestyles. One, that listens to his word and responds, and one that doesn't. See, that is the key issue here. That's the important thing. We like the dramatic. We love the sensation because somehow we think that, that it gives proof to the supernatural. It gives proof to the, to the gospel. But we are sadly mistaken. These aren't the proof of God's working. These aren't the evidence of God's working. Sure, God at times does wonderful miracles. And it's exciting. It is fun to see. But those aren't the things that change our lives. They don't ultimately help anyone unless it leads to faith, to coming to Christ through His Word. 
the old Puritans had a, had a good way of, of describing this. They distinguished between what they called the operations of the Holy Spirit and the graces of the Holy Spirit. The operations of the Holy Spirit were the gifts, the miracles, the signs and wonders. And they argued from Scripture that um, the Holy Spirit can do these any time he wanted and through anyone he wanted. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have examples of even unbelievers doing miracles, uh, prophesying. You see, the Holy Spirit can exercise uh, these things through anyone that he wants, at any time that he wants, as he sees fit. And that tells us absolutely nothing about the, the spiritual condition of the person doing the miracles. It tells us nothing about the Holy Spirit's priorities, but the, the graces of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. This is the true evidence of the working and the power of God. This is, this is, is the proof of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit as He takes the Word of God, the Word of our Lord, and He plants it in our lives and begins to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the power of God. This is the real miracle. The quiet transformation of our character to be like Him. Again, Jesus uh, had compassion. And it's fun to see Him do miracles. It's exciting. And we, like Him, need to have compassion. When we look out and we see people in need of deliverance, when we see them in need of physical healing with material needs, we need to reach out and help and care. But we cannot, we must not ever get distracted from the important ministry, the teaching, explaining, simply laying it before people, the Word of God, responding to that Word ourselves. There's a movement among Christians right now in America known as the Toronto Blessing. You may have seen some of the reports of it. It's a movement in churches where people are experiencing what they believe to be a unique working of the Holy Spirit. I've had several pastors here in town tell me what's going on in their churches. People are falling on the ground and shaking sometimes laughing uncontrollably. They feel an overwhelming flood of joy and release. And on the one hand, I am delighted for people who are enjoying this. It does sound like fun. I mean, it feels good. It's a release to laugh so hard that it hurts. But on the other hand, I am profoundly concerned that all of this might distract people from the true source of life and health. I don't pretend to know what's going on. I don't feel the need to make a judgment. Who am I to judge the servants of my Lord? But if these fun experiences are eclipsing the the, the real spiritual uh, process of, of getting into God's Word and understanding it, and the sometimes no fun process of obeying God's Word, then these blessings will have become a tool of the enemy, leading people to spiritual starvation and collapse. 
Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave me? They said, where would we go? You have the words of life. You see, again, it is Jesus' word. It is through his word that he gives us life. Jesus came to bring the word, to preach it and to teach it. And what he was looking for was not people to be amazed, people to be in awe. What he was looking for were hearts that would listen and respond. He was looking for hearts that would be obedient to his word. He was looking for people who would come to him through his word. What are you looking for in following Jesus? Do you want to be amazed? Do you want the emotion, the excitement, the crowds? Or do you simply want to be plainly, clearly taught the Word of God? Are we really convinced that that's how we grow, that that's how the foundation is laid, that's where we see the working of God? Are you ready to listen and to respond? See, our Lord has compassion on us. He won't ever ignore our needs, no matter how small or how great. But is that all we're after? A couple years ago, two years ago, actually, we celebrated our centennial as a state. And I was down at the stadium during the celebration, and I can still remember the fireworks. They were incredible. You know, the Neil Diamonds, they're coming to America, is blasting over the loudspeakers. And these fireworks are exploding in time to the music, just perfectly timed. And they just kept getting bigger and more and more awesome, more overwhelming, more dramatic. But as we were walking away from the stadium talking about how impressive that really was, how impossible it would be to ever top a display like that, looking up, you could see the stars again, just quietly gently speaking their message about the majesty and glory of God, His greatness, His wisdom, His love. You know, I, I love fireworks, but they will never replace the stars. And following Jesus is exciting. Sometimes it's thrilling. But is the quiet, consistent ministry of the Word that draws us to him so that we can have life. Well, let's pray. Lord, we do uh, praise you that you do care about our needs, that mostly, usually, you meet our needs to very mundane and normal ways, but sometimes you do it dramatically, and that's fun to see. We, we enjoy that. We ask you for that a lot. We ask you for healings. We ask you for for deliverances. We ask you just to, to take care of our material needs. But Lord, we don't ever want to get distracted from those fun gifts. Distracted from just coming to know you through your word. Coming to love you. To let your word do its work in us. To change us. To make us like you. Or we want to come through you, come to you through your word. We praise you for the reminder of the importance of this. And we commit ourselves to the, to the sometimes hard work of understanding your word and responding.
pray this in your name. Amen.